Mixed bag of results in the first week of Pac-12 action. We had, of course, in the marquee game, Oregon absolutely throw one away to Auburn. Uh, elsewhere, what, UCLA loses away, Oregon State loses, but some teams won. Specifically, the Washington schools looked great with new quarterbacks. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric. I'm Warren. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Ineligible receiver, offense number 64. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. So without further ado, how about last week's Pac-12 action? Uh, we already did away with that Arizona game. Uh, so let's start on Thursday night. Utah went to BYU in the Holy War. Utes figured to be too much for BYU, and that ended up being the case. Utah, 32-12 winners. Yeah, I, I mean, a good win for Utah. They were six-point favorites, so, uh, you know, Vegas would tell you that they won by, you know, a significantly larger margin than they should. I've seen a lot of accolades for the quarterback-running back combination, and I, to be honest with you, was just more set, in my opinion, of those two players coming out of that game, but in the opposite direction, like, I'm more convinced than ever that Huntley's not a great quarterback. And the more I watch Moss as a running back, the more impressed I am. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I mean, Moss is the team. Huntley's nothing special. He's a he's a game manager, and the rest of their team is so good that that's going to get them a lot of wins. But in Huntley's defense, uh, he had an early candidate for quote of the season uh, in the post game. When uh, one of the reporters uh, asked him how it felt to uh, beat BYU every year he was at Utah, uh, and he responded, I don't know, did you see that quote? I did not. Well, here's what he said, and I'm going to drop the audio in, but I'll just say it to you. It was so good. We never going to lose it, huh? They, they so poo-poo. <laughs> y'all, can tweet, y'all can tweet that. No. They so poo-poo. So, I mean, honestly, incredibly tough for BYU to live that one down. I mean, I think there are already they so poo poo shirts. Yeah, I, of course there are. <laughs> the internet still exists, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why, this is why the internet was was invented was for a shirt like that. Yeah, I mean, what? While we're talking about the next game, I'm going to confirm whether or not that's the case. But I'm, I'll tell you what, nothing yeah. makes me happier. You know, and if they are, and if they aren't available publicly, check in tomorrow. You know, he's a senior, he's been around, presumably he's had some media training, but you know what, sometimes you just got to cut loose and tell it like it is, and the fact is, as far as he knows, they so poo-poo. Yeah. And really, you can't, I mean, like, what do you say if you're BYU? They have nothing to come back with, they lost yeah, you, four times, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't say no, we're not, because, like, they're, BYU is in a bad place for a program that, uh, <laughs> you know, viewed at through a certain lens has some reason to be proud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So yeah, good, good win for Utah. Uh, next up UCLA traveled to Cincinnati. This was also on Thursday. Uh, you know, tough game. We had it pegged going in. The thought was maybe Chip Kelly's, uh, offense in the second year would make some strides, but their quarterback looked as bad or worse as he did last year. Uh, and, since he ended up winning comfortably in a not particularly entertaining game, 24-14. Yeah, it was a terrible game. Yeah, all right. Then that's all the more we need to say about that, other than if you're a Pac-12 school, stop scheduling at Cincinnati, you know, especially for UCLA. You're supposed to be a legit program. Have your boosters write a check and get that series twice at home. Anyway, uh, Arizona State uh, hosted Kent State. Uh Comfy win for them. Uh, didn't ask anybody to do anything. Uh, you know, Eno Benjamin, 22 carries, relatively light workload for him. Still got his hundy. Uh, 140 yard receiving from Ayuk. I'm not sure if that's how you say that for Arizona State, but you know, they took care of business. Yeah, didn't quite cover it up, so that's too bad for us. Those of us who picked ASU, a 25 point line that they only won by 23. But, um, but as you said, true freshman starting quarterback for ASU, so. You know, real tidy. Took care of business. Game was never in doubt. A good start for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the problem with these big lines, you know, because, like, really, at some point, there's just no incentive to keep trying. 
Uh, next up, we had on Friday, Rocky Mountain Showdown, Colorado, and Colorado State on a neutral site. Game was pretty close uh, for a while, but Colorado busted it open in the second half. 52-31. to 31. Yeah, Your really buffs. close. Really close in the first half. Really good game, actually. And guy kind of had me a little worried, honestly, watching, watching uh, you know, the buffs were 13.5-point favorites in this, and it didn't look for a while like this was going to be a game that separated by more than about a touchdown, but Colorado really blew the lid off it um, in the second half, ended up winning comfortably by 21 points. So good good for them. Yeah, and if you are a Colorado fan, you say, you know, we got we managed to get 52 on the board and uh, by his standards, pretty pedestrian effort from LaVisca Chenault, uh, who, you know, still had, you know, 75 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. But uh, that's got to be encouraging for them. They found some other ways to score points. They need it. Yeah. Uh, next up, Oklahoma State traveled to Corvallis for some reason to play the Beavers. Uh, Oregon State hung tough for a quarter and then got exploded. Uh, Oklahoma State, 52 to 36 winners. Yeah, you and I were both all over this last week. Mike Gundy, you know, sneaky, real, you know, really good program for, you know, what that school is in terms of its football lineage and, you know, Oregon State, whether or not Jonathan Smith will be able to turn that around, I think is yet to be determined. And, you know, with Gundy, you know, having having been there as long as he had, that's just a that's just a game that, that Oklahoma State's gonna win all day. And I just want to say this out loud, leading tackler for Oklahoma State in this game, uh Amen Ogbong Bamiga. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Um yeah. Uh next up, what, Saturday games? We'll start with, how about New Mexico State going to Washington State? Debut for Anthony Gordon, fifth-year senior, uh, who came out of the game and started this game, I want to say, in the first quarter, like 15 of 15 for like 260 yards. <laughs> like Or in the first half, you know, had like was 15 of his first 15 and had four touchdowns and almost 300 yards. So the offense uh, has survived another quarterback transition. Seems to have. 58 to seven is a big, big number. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I had New Mexico state in this game just cause I thought, well, you know, what would be the point, but uh good on Washington state for, you know, putting their foot on somebody's neck and getting a tone set for the season. Yeah. Good for them, man. Yeah. Uh, next up Stanford Northwestern uh, Stanford ends up winning this game 17 to seven on a Northwestern fumble back into the end zone that turned into a Stanford touchdown more or less as time expired right at the end of the game, which flipped your tickets from losers to winners. If you were betting on this game and an incredibly horrible beat, if you had Northwestern in this game. Yes. Hilarious backdoor <laughs> cover in there. I mean, yeah. Northwestern had the ball with the chance to take the lead on the, their final possession. As you said, it was under a minute to play and they had a long ways to go. So given what their offense had, had produced so far in the game, you, you know, you, you could pretty safely assume at that point that they weren't going to win the game. But yeah, you if you had a, uh, you know, Northwestern to cover minus six at that point with a, in a 10-7 game, you had to feel really good about that. Um, and then disaster for, Absolutely for the disaster. gambling for the gambling Wildcats. <laughs> that is beautiful. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, and then the other big story of this game: KJ Costello, uh, Stanford starter, got. Uh, knocked out of the game with a forearm to the chin uh, and his status for this week's game against USC is questionable, which makes him the more likely of the two quarterbacks to play in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So uh, next up, Cal hosted UC Davis, UC Davis. They didn't read the script. They got out to a 10 zero lead in the first quarter, but Cal found their footing. How about 36 carries for their running back? That, that doesn't seem super sustainable. Uh, but yeah, uh, Cal takes care of business at the end of the day, 27 to 13. This, this was a game like well into the third quarter and, mm-hmm. and this, this score flatters Cal to be honest a little bit. I, I mean, everyone's sort of papering over it with, uh, with the uh, whole notion that, oh, well, you know, just to, they look sleepy or they look disinterested, but I mean, another word for it would be bad. Um, their, their defense was game, but not quite as good as I thought it was going to be. UC Davis actually threw the ball a little bit. And I, I don't know why we didn't put this together previously, but Cal's quarterback, uh, Garbers, the, you know, UW's 
quarterback commit coming into next year is his brother, Garbers. Same same family. Wait, for who? For for he's going to Cal or going to us? No, Cal's current quarterback is Garbers, and Washington's senior in high school commit for next year quarterback is a Garbers. Washington's Ethan Garbers. I mean, I hope he's better than his brother. Yeah. That's my take on that. I don't think Chase... I don't think Chase Garbers is any great shakes. I mean, Cal, I mean, they, uh, the problem, they had, uh, a top of the line defense last year and they just could not score. And it's, uh, early indicators are that if you can find a way to get 24 points on them in conference, you're going to win the game. Now their defense last year was good enough to hold a lot of teams below that, but, uh, that's not a recipe for like, certainly to challenge for the title or anything like that. No, they, they need to be putting up more points on UC Davis than 27. And it can't be like a one-score game in the third quarter. That's a that's a huge red flag. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so uh, to monitor potentially shaky Bears. Uh, and, I mean, we're going to see them this week because they play at Washington. Uh, next up, USC hosted Fresno yep. State. Here's a backdoor cover for you. Uh, they got up. Uh, but Fresno State 10-0 in the fourth quarter to get inside that 13-point line. Uh, but USC does take the win, 31-23. to uh, Humongous story of the game. Right after Jack Sears had put himself in the transfer portal after losing out on the quarterback competition, JT Daniels out for the season with a knee. Uh, so they were on to a freshman. Uh, so, uh, I mean, and USC's schedule coming up here without their quarterback is terrible. I mean, they are at home against Stanford this week, at BYU, a little bit of a break there, uh, but then they are at home to Utah, at Washington, at Notre Dame. Yikes. Yeah, even even when Clay Helton wins, he loses these days because that, <laughs> that quarterback injury is just devastating for their any chance they had. Their, their schedule was already ridiculously tough, and you, know, you figure he had very little chance of making it through the season with a fully healthy and intact team. Um, for him to get, you know, to get through to next year. And then now, I don't, I mean, less than 5% chance he's coaching, yeah. he's coaching at what, at the Washington game, probably, you know, like there's a chance. I mean, like re- what you'd say is that like, uh, you know, to kind of preview, I got, I got, I would pick Sanford to beat them in this game. Uh, and then maybe let's give him BYU for some reason, but that should be a game. Uh, and then of Utah, Washington and Notre Dame, in back-to-back weeks, at least they have a bye before the Notre Dame game. But, like, if they get one of those, I consider that to be a grand. Like, if they can get out of those opening six games at 3-3, three and three, to me, they're performing above their heads. This is what I don't understand about USC and how and how they handle coaching. Because for forever, they have had a hard time with coaching. I mean, Pete Carroll was effectively, a, they lucked into that, right? He was not their first choice when, yeah. when they hired him. Uh, I mean... Like, we all know that Urban Meyer is not employed right now. He's just calling games. And if you hired him tomorrow, he wouldn't coach this season, which I think is just what he wants. Like, Urban Meyer is one of those guys, right, that his his head explodes when he gets too stressed out or whatever, and so he needs yeah. to take a year off. And so this is going to be his get-right year. And then he's also a guy who's a front-running, you know, <laughs> coach. And so he's, he's only going to step into posh scenarios. You know, what are you doing? Like, go hire that dude tomorrow. Like, tomorrow. Go yeah, get him on the recruiting trail. Why not? Like, why what, Why would you not? Like, it, to me, it's like malpractice every day that you allow him to just call games this year and not be your coach next year. Go hire him effective January 1st. Whatever. Like, he's not going to follow the rules when it comes to recruiting anyways. Like, he's going to – Yeah, that's why he's good. That's why he's good because he's going to show up with a full recruiting class chock full of five stars. So, like – why why haven't you hired him yet like i don't get it yeah uh yeah so, i mean the the problem is is that uh is their athletic director lynn swan still still is yeah that's the problem you you nailed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's that guy might just not know what's going on it would appear I mean, he doesn't. correct <laughs> how do you screw up usc football that just they are they are dismal team right now and it's one of the premier college coaches of our time is sitting unemployed now 
he did do it up by choice. And so there's always the chance that he's not, you know, willing to coach again or that is, you know, he made promises to his family or whatever. Like, but I mean, it seems to me that he just, you know, the pressure got too much for him. It doesn't seem to me that he plays by the rules too, too particularly closely. So I would imagine every year he's at a university, he feels some additional pressure due to the, you know, impending likelihood that something bad will happen. He just needs to step away for a while and, and, you know, get a massage and, you know, get refreshed. And then this is what, this is what, you know, USC is just there. Like, go get him. Like, go get him. What is yeah, it? And then also you're talking, I mean, just, or if failing that, just look at the top 25. You're telling me Kyle Whittingham isn't taking that call or James Franklin or, you know, whoever else, maybe Mark D'Antoni wants to uh, flip it up, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, sure. kind of leave the scene at Michigan State. They've had some issues, you know. Dino Babers at Syracuse. Anybody, any hire a coach that somebody else wants to hire. That's what I. That's my biggest problem with this Clay Helton thing from Jump. Yeah. And, uh, anybody could have got him. I mean, this we could go on for this for thirty minutes, and maybe we should. But I, I mean, it strikes me that like literally, you could call Dino Babers while he's on the sidelines of a game, and he'd be like, "Well." gotta go you know like yeah you know i mean like what there are some up-and-coming coaches that you could do that with there are some established coaches you could do that with like i i I just don't understand or hire mike leach for god's sakes you know i mean if like the whole deal this year is we want to put in the air raid like i think i think you're on to something there because i think who's who's their offensive coordinator now graham harrell there you go i think there's i think there's a doings a transpiring there there might be something afoot with the with that You know, speaking of, because we're not going to talk about this game, Tennessee opened up at home with a loss to Georgia State, right? And they were like, you know, 30-point favorites or something in the game and lost to these guys. And here we are, year and a half removed from Tennessee's boosters uh, coming in at the last second and firing their AD because he had the gall to have like a term sheet with Mike Leach and oh, you can't have Mike Leach at Tennessee. Tennessee's too proud. They haven't won fuck all for 15 years. Like for God's sakes, God forbid they get this guy who goes to schools where you can't win. And all he does is win. And then he's, and then like everybody copies his offense. Like, (laughs) like God forbid the genuine article gets a shot somewhere at a place where he can recruit something better than like, three stars that have been like picked over by 20 other teams. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, they get, they get exactly what they deserve. Yeah. Well, we could, we could do a whole podcast on this. And like I said, maybe we should, it'd be pretty, pretty entertaining podcast probably. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's do, uh, let's do Oregon Auburn. Uh, (laughs) okay. So let me tell you what I, I'm watching this game after I'd got home from the Washington game, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, and I, I turned it off in the first quarter because I was like, these two teams don't belong on the same field together. Oregon is vastly superior. Like there's Auburn didn't show up to play. Oregon looks like, you know, they've, you know, all been, you know, given methamphetamine before the game started. Like it is just a mismatch of, effort and physicality and Oregon has a scheme and they're just going up and down the field, gashing this sec defense, making them look like kids, you know, embarrassing them. And then, you know, and then there's a couple signs, you know, they, they, they drop a third down touchdown in the end zone. They miss a chip shot field goal. And then you get to halftime. Auburn's only managed two field goals, but they're within a score. And you're thinking, well, hell, I mean, this game should have been over a long time ago, but here's Auburn just hanging out. And then to me, I'm like, well, they're gonna, I think they might blow it somehow. And got, and it happened. It's stunning. I, I, I still don't understand it, man. And it comes back to, I mean, you can blame Cristobal. You can blame Herbert. You can blame. I'll blame them both. Their defense in the second half. Let that freshman quarterback sit back there and operate. Um, I, it pretty much just fell apart at the seams, like from everywhere, from a team, as you said, that in the first quarter looked like legitimately good. Like like they were like completely dominating that SEC team. And you figure Auburn's, you know, probably a middle of the road 500 team at best watching that. 
Yeah, because I think I made a lot of noise last week or in the, you know, whenever. Uh, yeah, last week that Oregon's overrated and like, you know, Cristobal sucks and Herbert sucks. And then like that first half, I'm like, man, maybe they're like, as you know, cover SI, you know, fringe college football playoff team. Maybe that's all true. They look so good. And then it's it's crazy. And one thing I want to say about the Air Bear is that like everybody goes, people go as far with him to calculate what his stats would be if his receivers didn't drop all the passes. Here's what I say about that. Uh, There's a reason Tony Romo got the job over Drew Bledsoe, and it's not because he can throw the ball harder than him. Okay. You have to throw a ball that your receiver can catch. And at some point it's your fault as a quarterback. And that pass that was dropped in the end zone, it was like an eight yard pass that was, a fastball that it, 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 there was no reason for it to be that fast. You lose in terms of like airtime ball in the air. If you throw that thing 20 miles an hour slower, you maybe lose, you know, less than half a second because of the short distance that it's traveling. But what you do by throwing it as hard as you can and doing that thing that makes all the scouts go ooh and ah is uh, make it exponentially harder for him, the guy to catch the ball. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing I, I saw, somewhere an insinuation that uh, like an NFL wide receiver catches that ball, which is great, but he's not in the NFL. He's in college. Um, he's throwing to a college wide receiver who needs, yeah, to, you know, who probably needs to catch that ball also, by the way, um, for sure. I mean, go ahead and catch it because it's right there for you. But it, you know, we've, we've made the comparison okay. before, like Jake Walker was a, was a good college quarterback for Washington, but the expectations as to what he was, capable of and what he was going to do for the for the program never materialized beyond his senior year where he led Washington to a seven and six season you know yeah because at the end of the day the point isn't to have insane combine measurables you have to be able to say this guy doesn't have the best hands in the world this guy who was recruited as a safety for UW by the way passed it up to go to UCLA uh washed out of there and ended up at uh Oregon as a receiver this Addison whatever guy uh, and like, I mean, so, you know, not the, you know, maybe not ideal hands is what I would suggest by the fact that he was being recruited as a defensive player, like know who your personnel is. And like, if, if your receivers can't catch your passes, change how you're throwing your passes. Yeah. Well, just... That's, that seems easy enough to me. Yeah. <laughs> just do, do what you got to do to win games, man. You're the quarterback. You're the only player. That touches the ball on every snap, basically, you know, like go ahead and win. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, Cristobal, uh, well, I mean, late in the game, you know, they had a play where like, uh, Herbert got injured. And, uh, so he had to come out of the game for the next play. And then Oregon called a timeout thinking that, uh, if they got the timeout, they could buy him back into the game. But apparently the rule on that is that's only if somebody's helmet gets inadvertently knocked out, not if they have to be seen for an injury. Okay. And and let me tell you something. I don't know what that rule is. Right. But also I'm not being paid millions of dollars to know what that rule is. Yeah. You got to know. So, so you can't be, you can't be sitting there with your pants down trying to argue that for something that isn't allowed because you don't know what the fucking rules of college football are when you're paid millions of dollars a year to coach college football. And then also uh, there was a lot of hemming and hawing about Cristobal when they had that lead late in the game, trying to, you know, snapping the ball with like 15 seconds left on the play clock, which matters because Auburn scored to go ahead with like what, nine seconds left or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, if they would have gone into just full uh, consolidation mode, uh, the time would not have existed in which Auburn won the game. Just a debacle. So, debacle yeah. conference. So debacle. the thing is, I, the thing is, is I don't have a problem with it. If you feel like your offense is good and for periods, it looked like Auburn just couldn't handle Oregon's offense. I don't have a problem with you going out there and trying to get first downs and ice the game that way, but better do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, that's the thing. like, I don't, you know, the time management stuff, I'm not super broken up about, uh, I'm more, uh, perturbed on an Oregon's fans behalf at, uh, not knowing what the rules are, but really primarily 
not winning these games where you get to like 90 plus percent expected win percentage and then somehow finding a way to lose. Yeah, that's never good. Never want that. Yeah, anyway. Washington hosted Eastern Washington. And you hear the phrase, uh, 100% perfect debut for a quarterback thrown around. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to say, sitting in the stands for this one, that is what I was treated to. We had talked about last week, you, you said... Uh, you were talking about how, like, there was just such a, a vast range of possibilities for what could happen with Jacob Eason and absolutely nothing would surprise you. And we were treated to, uh, the a one version of that. Yeah. The good version happened. <laughs> yeah. Cause a live arm was completing passes, which is the thing I don't care. Like if he has a 50 yard bomb and he's, you know, not completing the passes at that rate, uh, you know, we're throwing like 55% of his passes complete then I'm not as excited. But what I'm tremendously excited about is that he throws for a 75% completion percentage, right? Which is just, well, I said, you know, 65 plus was what I was shooting for in this game. And then it wasn't a cheap 75%. He was throwing the ball down the field. Good yeah. God, was that fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, the first the first bomb to Bacelli was awesome, right? Like he just, he, he did the little fake, handoff bit he stood he stood up in the pocket you know like you know looked like a pro back there he stepped in and just unleashed this like beautiful arcing you know you and then as the camera pans you know you see the wide receiver four yards behind the dbs and not breaking stride just like completely taking the stride it's it's such a perfect pass and catch and you're just like everybody loves that but he also took you know, a snap in the second quarter, I think maybe it was the third quarter where he took two steps back, put his foot in the ground and just, you know, punched a laser beam to the tight end right up the middle, um, you know, basically right in between four defenders, but it didn't matter because there's just, it was on such a rope. You know, I was equally as impressed with that pass as I was the long bomb because he just put his foot in the ground and threw it, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the, circus catch that fuller made in the first mm. down was mm. was a fantastic catch but really that's also a ball that we have not seen thrown in the last couple of years like browning was he, very cautious with the ball and so if the receiver was covered up like that he's not going to put you know he didn't do the jump ball thing very often and not only did Eason put it up there but fuller went ahead and made the catch of the year already um you know and and made him look good for for giving him that you know that chance that is the, those are the kinds of passes that I think as Husky fans, all of us were waiting and waiting and hoping to see. Yes, the long bomb, because it shows he's got a live arm. We all knew he had a live arm, but it showed it. Um, also, the, the the quick zip pass and then the jump ball pass where he gave his guy a chance and his guy came, you know, rewarded him with a with a circus-like catch. Yeah, and the, and the ranked outcomes on the pass, which makes them so good, are most likely is incomplete, second most likely is completion, third most likely is interception, you know, from where he was putting those balls. I mean, possibly third most likely is, like, penalty, you know, and then fourth yeah. fourth most likely is interception even. So, it's a, yeah, again, it's just he's given them a chance, and that's what you have to be. Like, we saw time and time again the offense stall last year because there was just that hesitancy to let go of the ball. If, if it looked like the wide receiver didn't have separation and that hesitancy in, even in the college game costs you the window, like it's gone. If you even hesitate for a second and, and yep. he didn't hesitate, like you said, we got the a one version of the Eason debut also got, you know, Newton looked good as a running back. The defense looked good. Pretty much just, if you're a Husky fan, there's, there's a lot of things to watch and you know, take a deep sigh of relief. Um, like, okay, this, this team might be good. Yeah. And then uh what I uh you speak you brought up Richard Newton, twelve carries, ninety one yards and a touchdown, had like a twenty plus yard touchdown on his first touch out of the uh big dick Newton cat. Uh wanna give a shout out to our friend Dave Baker, who I like to call up before the season because he follows all the scrimmages and stuff and who's gonna be who. Uh and uh, we were talking about our running back situation and he uh correctly called that Newton was gonna be the guy. So I want to give it up to him for seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say the two, the only two points, and when I say Washington might be good, I think that's 
it's still up for debate, right? I mean, Eastern very much to be determined. Eastern yeah, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's still an FCS team. Eastern is a good FCS team, but they're an FCS team, and so you know, Washington won't. You know, we won't know, but the 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 window is there for Washington to be a really really good team. Um, the two pieces that I took away from it, one, the one on offense was it, Salvan Ahmed does not appear to be the guy on you know from a running back perspective. He just doesn't have that you know, that burst when, or he has the burst. He just doesn't have the ability to make the cut at the right time or whatever it is. He didn't, he didn't show that he was the guy at least. And so there's a question mark there in my mind. And when you got yeah. Newton and McGrew and Pleasant, and so like, there's a lot of people vying for those touches. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. And I think a little bit concerning. I, I do think Washington wanted to establish the pass more than they, they haven't, you know, in prior years because they just wanted to prove that Eason could do it. And so maybe the running game took a backseat for that game. But one minor concern there, and then on the defense, I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, it's a good story. The Kyler Manu guys, the six year senior, fifth year senior, starting a linebacker. But I'm yeah. not sure he's going to be the starting linebacker, you know, for very long. Nagata, or however you pronounce his last name, is is much more of a linebacker body and and speedster in the mold of a Bember Curvin, in the mold of the the, the Washington linebackers that Kwiatkowski and Lake really like. He looked a little big. He looked like an old school, like Oklahoma running, you know, linebacker to me, you know, yeah. circa 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, our good recent linebackers have been that in Azeem Victor, Donald Butler, Keyshawn Bieria. It, it doesn't hurt to have a guy that's maybe about, you know, 10% bigger than the average for the position out there. Cause we can get that kind of guy. Yeah. He, he just, I wonder if he, if he's going to be the starter in, in three weeks, we'll see, but. Yeah, regarding uh, Ahmed, what I would like to see is for him to take the role that he's had when Miles Gaskin was here, which is just kind of like a uh, just a change up who you get the ball on like fly sweeps and you just figure out a way to get him the ball in space where all he has to think about is catching it and running forward as fast as he can. Because one, the one thing he does have is he's probably the fastest guy on the team. Yeah, but 15 carries for 44 yards, that's less than three yards per carry like that. That doesn't work. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like him on screens. I like him on the fly sweep. I like him on a bubble, you know, the bubble screen. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, the, just running him into the line. He hasn't, you know, uh, he, he reminds me of Jesse Callier a little bit. I'd like to see him used how uh, Chico was used uh, as uh, in uh, 16, you know, it's kind of like this jackknife guy who's when everybody's so worried about so many other things, it's like, oh crap, you get this guy the ball and it's just another set of problems. Who was who was the Washington running back ten years ago who was super speedy but couldn't couldn't take a hit to save his life? Uh it's it wasn't Jaworin, was it? No. That's twenty years ago, my friend. We are old. Well, we are very old. Uh God, you're right. He was like a high school contemporary of ours. Um Golly, I can't think about it. It's not Lou Rankin, was it? Yes, Lewis Rankin. You got it. Okay. Great, great speedster. Great in space. Like, little video. Yeah, there's a there's a razor. Um, I went to the. I made the mistake of going to the Washington Ewu box score because I wanted to. I get to give you <laughs> give you Salvin Ahmed stats, and now I'm watching a Gillette commercial. Um, yeah, Lou Rankin was great in space, super faster than everybody, but but really couldn't get between the tackles. That's a little bit what Salvin Ahmed reminds me of. Um, yeah. So. Oh, and then the other thing, talk about Washington throwbacks I wanted to bring up was regarding their uh, uh, receiver core. To me, uh, Aaron Fuller and Andre Bocelli on their own, right, you know, are like not, you know, otherworldly, but they're both have been here forever at this point. You know what I mean? And it reminds me, of the sure-handedness of the combo of Pat Reddick and Wilbur Hooks Jr., you know? We're like, guys that aren't going to, like, wow you, but they're just so solid that, they, that they're good by how solid they are. Yeah, I mean, Bocelli had five receptions for 84 yards. Bryant had six receptions for 81 yards. Hunter Bryant's a beast. Um, Absolute beast, Aaron, yeah. Aaron Fuller, five receptions, 73 yards, and Chico, five for 57. Like, that'll do. That'll do it. Yep, we'll take that. That's causing a lot of problems for people. So, how did we do on picks this week? You jumped out to the lead with nine and three. Uh, Cancel the picks for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready to heels there at eight and four. <laughs> and the dirty worm had a rough week. Went six and six. Uh, his love for the Pac-12 conference cost him dearly. 
You fool. Have you not been watching these games? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's uh, get through and preview next week's action. Starting off on Friday, Sacramento State and Arizona State. No line on the game. Easy pick. Free money. ASU. Uh, Oh, here's a stat I saw that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Arizona State had a punter who averaged like 63 yards over five punts last week. And it was uh, the nephew of longtime NFL punter Matt Turk. That's a good average. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's some good-ass punts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh-oh, our boys. I didn't even see this till now. Uh, from DeKalb, Northern Illinois, traveling to Utah. Utes are 22.5-point favorites. I have a soft spot for Northern Illinois, just because we seem to talk about them every year. They, they, <laughs> they sneakily play a lot of Pac-12 non-conference games. And well, now they're good, right? Like they've been good in the past. Now, am I, am I right or am I wrong that this Ross Bowers guy used to be the quarterback at Cal? Oh, Bowers? Yeah, he's back, and he was the best quarterback at Cal, right? Like they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he very much graduate transferred uh, to Northern Illinois. Well, that's exciting. Uh, yeah, it, you know, Bothell's own dude, a Bothell boy. Oh, man, it's a big number for Utah. I mean, it's hard to take Utah minus 22 um, and a half. They would not have covered that last week against BYU. Question then becomes, is Northern Illinois better or worse than BYU? Um, Ross Bowers, a clean 299 last week. The problem with Northern Illinois last year, because we saw like two of their games, was that uh, they could not score. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Ross Bowers is a legitimate D1 quarterback. So I'm, I'm going to take Northern Illinois in this game. I like it. <laughs> uh, give me the Utes. Um, it's a big number for them, but let's see if they if they continue to build on what they they started last week with a pretty pretty easy handling of, uh, of BYU. All right. And next up we got, how about this, 12.30 p.m. kickoff. We've got Colorado – Hosting Nebraska, uh, an old Big Eight game. Yeah, uh, like, two teams with a lot of history. This is like a go- Keith Jackson should be calling this one. You know. Yeah, this is this is this makes my heart happy to see this, uh, and it'll tell you 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 look at the uh, ticket prices available for all these games, which it shows on the ESPN page. Yeah, everybody's like twenty bucks. You know, if they're lucky. If you want to get to this Arizona State game, it's going to run you a cool six. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for Nebraska, Colorado, tickets available as low as one hundred and eighty-five dollars. Wow. Yeah. Let's let's go. That ASU game, you literally will spend more on the Uber to and from the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is interesting, man. I watched Nebraska last week against a very bad team, uh, Southern Utah. Or so I mean, I don't think it was Southern Utah, but it was of that ilk. It was a bad team. And, yeah, and they did not handle them. You know? No, they did not. They had, I want to say, at least uh, two defensive scores and one return score. Their yeah. offense could not get it done. I, I'm I'm tempted to go with the Buffs here. I'm tempted to take these Buffs and these four points. Home dogs. Yeah, and they home dog. I mean, this year. is a Nebraska team. Like, what did they go last year? Four and eight. Yeah, and then just because Scott Frost is there. All of a sudden, they're good. Yeah, they entered this season ranked. Believe that. They went four and eight last year and came into this year. People were like, this is the 24th best team in the country. (laughs) Yeah, get out of here. Colorado for me. Yeah, buff me. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's go the other. (laughs) Now, to move, maybe potentially move away from picking a conference team, we have UCLA hosting San Diego State. (laughs) UCLA. Now, they did look like dog shit. I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson, right? Eight of twenty-six. It's not good passing. That's like a like get out of school. Like when is when can we get Yankoff in here? That's like a a a pretty good batting average, but not acceptable for a quarterback. Yeah, and especially like the whole idea with Chip Kelly's offense is that you're throwing essentially to uncovered receivers because they're astonished. That after the fakes, the ball's not in a wide receiver running back's hand, like via handoff, you know. Like, to me, I don't know how you, I, I don't know how they can be favorites. 
I I want the Aztecs. I'm not buying it, is what I'm saying. I'm going one more week on the chip train, and then I'm and then he's I, so good. I'm still a Chip Kelly believer. I don't. I like. I still think he's an amazing coach, but I think he might be retired, dude. I think he might not. I think he may have retired and just hasn't told anybody. Yeah, that 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 could very well be the case. I'm I'm on full show me mode for UCLA. I I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, I I also have a theory, which I mean, which again for the second week in a row makes my UCLA pick dumb. But I also have a theory that you if I was if I was ever put in charge of an athletic department in a Power Five conference, I would never ever hire like a retread coach, barring some like extreme circumstances. Like I barring would, like an Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, right? Like I wouldn't I wouldn't consider him to be a retread because you know he left his last job of his own volition. I wouldn't consider him to be, you know, that that type of thing. I just give me an example of a coach who played, you know, who coached at a Power Five school, and then somehow magically got, you know, got fired from that job, and then somehow came back to lead an elite program for a, you know any period of time, right? I, it yeah. happened. I, I don't know where where or when, and if it has happened, it's so few and far between. I would always take my chances with either a up and coming head coach or the superstar, you know, coordinators of the world. Um, and, and so the, the chip yeah. hire by that definition, the chip Kelly hire. Now maybe he's the exception because he left college of his own volition to go to the NFL. And so you say you bring him back to college because he proved, you know, when he left college, he was at the very top, but yeah, I don't know. Of the NCAA's show cause list. <laughs> Uh, but no, you're. I mean, he was a killer at college. Cause that was a little, a little dig at him because of where he coached. I still think he's a man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like the best you can hope for is uh, what Steve Spurrier did at South Carolina, where you don't quite get back to the same heights, but you get pretty good. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, but even Steve Spurrier at South Carolina, like they weren't that great. Yeah, they had like a couple of years where they got okay. And he coached South Carolina for ten years, and you know where Steve Spurrier was like in week zero, at the swamp in a Florida shirt. yep yeah he knows where his bread is buttered yeah uh yeah all right uh so yeah okay we picked that one uh washington state hosting northern colorado uh no line on the game because i guess they're fcs easy pick give give us the cougs cougarinos baby uh let's get into a a low-key interesting game oregon hosting nevada nevada fresh off a comeback win with a 56-yard field goal at the horn to beat the Purdue Boilermakers at home. Now they're playing an, or- an Oregon team uh, in letdown city. Yeah. Uh, 23-point game on this one. I don't know. I mean, because here's the deal. This is where Oregon has been great under Mario Cristobal, which is taking care of business against lesser opponents at home. Right? So because of that, as I'm thinking it through, I'm going to go Ducks but I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the thing you have to worry about with Oregon is that they've realized that their season is effectively over, right? The PAC 12 conference is not well regarded. Um, I, yeah. I think watching that Auburn team, we all, we all believe that Auburn is not going to be a threat to the, that's like, that's like an eight win Auburn team. Maybe like if, if things go, that's, and that's because they're playing like Presbyterian or something, and Tennessee you know? and South yeah. Carolina, some bad SEC schools this year will help yeah. a little bit, but they're not beating Bama. They're not beating Georgia. You know, like they're probably, well, they're not, beating, they're not beating LSU. They're probably not beating Florida. Now they yeah. may not have to play all those teams, but they, you know, like they're, they're a cut below the, the premier teams in the SEC. So you didn't beat that, that team on your schedule and the conference you play in, is not regarded as particularly tough. So, I mean, if you're Justin Herbert right now, like you are playing for the NFL, like, right. Like you're, you're playing not to get hurt. And I don't care. I don't care what you tell me. Like, he, I know he's a local kid. I know he's cut from a different cloth, all that stuff. Somebody is in his ear or his parents ears saying, okay, the national championship didn't happen. Um, let's worry about the first round of the NFL draft. Like let's, let's keep that going. So yeah, I'm I'm I I think he's I mean I still think there's so much to play for for Oregon. You know what I mean? Like if they if if what well, I don't think they're good enough to run the table from here, right? You know, but 
if they did, I think they're squarely in the college football playoff conversation as a one loss Pac-12 champion. And then you look back and you say, you know, it's all about just saying like, what's the narrative? Is that like, we played a game in August and we didn't know how to win. You know yeah, what I mean? I and we learned a lot from it, but you know, but if you look at the game for large periods of it, we were the vastly superior team and we cleaned some things up and we've been dominant since then. Like, so I think that's still on the table. I would be shocked if i mean i still think that fighting for a pac-12 championship is something to play for so i, I disagree that they're all the way over I'll, I'll take oregon i'm just i just saying they're i think they're in that zone right now where yeah they, they have no margin for error and it's only it's the second game of the season and they're completely yeah. out of of any sort of like you know hiccup and they've got a tough schedule um it realistically it's the the odds are so long at this point that yeah they are- oh yeah for a college football play I mean I don't think that was realistic for them when the season started yeah but yeah yeah you're right so maybe I mean I don't know how realistic they thought it was but uh yeah I don't know I mean I think like it's especially if you haven't won the conference recently which it's been a, a second for them uh that's that's you know basically the entire goal of the season is win the north win the Pac-12 title. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'll take the Ducks here. Uh, next up. Uh, well, let's do Arizona hosting Northern Arizona. Uh, I mean, I guess give me the Wildcats. Yeah. Arizona is because it's a no line game against an FCS school. Yeah. Uh, how about Oregon State traveling to Hawaii? And Hawaii is a five and a half point favorite. Significant favorite. Yeah. Um, I would have liked. I thought this was at Corvallis when I looked at it the first time. It was going to go Beavs, uh, but I'll take Hawaii on this one. But I will think Oregon State will benefit from playing from a lower, you know, with a lower kind of tier of competition. Uh, and I don't. I mean, I, you know, they're in their project right now, so you know, it's just at some point they got to start jumping up and win. Certainly, winning these games against like Mountain West teams, but. Uh, however much of a bucket blue that's been for our conference. Yeah. But yeah. I, I like Hawaii. I think it's tough for them. Week one, they got, they got punched pretty hard by an Oak state team at home, you know, and then they got to turn around and get fly six hours, three time zones to Hawaii and, you know, play a team that just beat a PAC 12 opponent. That's a tough circumstance for a team. That's like, as you said, it's clearly in rebuild mode. So I'll take Hawaii as well. Yep. All right. Uh, Stanford uh, going to USC. Uh KJ Costello, uh, questionable for the game, maybe doubtful uh, with his concussion problem. JT Daniels just flat out. Uh, so not unclear who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, interesting. You know, I mean, what, what's interesting about the game is that Stanford is not like, uh, you know, super capable of putting 40 plus on you like they've been in years past. So that at least keeps USC in the conversation on it, but with the, I, I didn't see anything really from that quarterback they put in. And he obviously let Fresno state back into the game last week. So, well, I mean, USC is just going to be trying to run the ball into Stanford's lines. And I don't think those have deteriorated enough. So I suppose I'll take the Cardinals. Okay. No, I'm you're taking the Cardinal. I heard that. Okay. Um, I am going to take USC. The, Aside, I, I like that pick. Aside from the fact that Costello is potentially out, Walker Little, their left tackle, is also out for six weeks, which really kind of crushes Stanford because that's all of their good games, pretty much. I think they have Oregon and Washington in that time frame. I specifically checked uh, Washington; they play on uh, October fifth, so basically one month from today or tomorrow, um, and so. You know, he's out for six weeks. That's a big blow to that offensive line. And USC, you know, I I wasn't that impressed with JT Daniels anyways, and so I don't know that they're going to have a huge drop-off. I, I, I just think they have to win. Like, they just got to win this game, so I'm going to pick them. I like it. I like it. I think that's a good pick. Uh, but I'm still on the other side of it. Uh, next up, uh, last one for the week, Washington hosting California. It's too early for a conference game, but we're playing one. Uh, Washington, 14 point favorites at home. Uh, as we talked about Cal looks like, uh, they're gonna, you know, yeah, they haven't shown that they have broken out of last year's problem, which is that they can't score the ball. Uh, revenge factor in the game for Washington who lost this game against Cal last year. 
in the infamous benching of Jake Browning for Jake Hayner to throw pick six. Um, yeah. It, uh, so I, I'm interested to see. I mean, I've, I've, you know, obviously step up in competition for the dogs. I'm going to pick the dogs because they looked uh, otherworldly last week. You know what I mean? I don't care who the competition was. That was as good of a game as they could have possibly played to my mind. Uh, so, I mean, to me, to me, the question is like, as, as just the straight up money line bet, can, I think Washington can get to 24 points and I don't think Cal can. Now the question is, can Washington get to 38 points? Uh, I, I give him an outside shot at it. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you watched, if you watched last week's games and, and I did Cal looked bad on offense and their defense did not look to me as good as it had been sold in the preseason as being um and washington's offense looked much better than i thought i than i expected it to look and the defense looked about as good as i expected it to look which was pretty good um i i think that last year's game was a complete anomaly washington you know a rare time in chris peterson's life where he was double you know double guessing himself and second guessing himself and yeah not fully you know listening to the outside noise more than he ever would and and i think if you could sit him down over a couple of beers and say you know give me a couple of plays or or games where you made big mistakes he that would be at the very top of the list top two or three he would come back to that game and say we win that game if i don't do that um yep and so yeah you know, for that, I mean, for all that, I mean, I, it's a it's a decent spread, minus 14. I mean, Vegas, for all intents and purposes, doesn't think this is going to be a game. Um, and when you throw in the fact that Cal beat them last year and you've got Evan Weaver, that Cal linebacker, continuing to talk smack, which I – thank you. Um, yeah. I, to me, I, I can't see – I will be very surprised if Washington doesn't win this game r- relatively handily. I thoroughly agree. I thoroughly agree. I don't really have anything to add. You got anything else you want to throw in? I don't. All right. That does it for this week's eligible receivers. For Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week.